This 30th episode of the Peace on Drugs podcast is brought to you by the strange American phenomenon of pharmaceutical advertisements. We are one of only two countries that allow it, and the only country that allows this sort of psychological manipulation when it comes to side effects and exaggerations of effectiveness. If the medication works, then doctors can do their research and then inform their patients. Why are drug companies informing patients who then ask their doctor? This seems backwards. But it's done this way because convincing people that a drug may fix them is the best strategy to push product. They start with telling you your symptoms and showing you someone suffering. Do you have trouble sleeping or irritable bowel syndrome? Or do you suffer from anxiety? Perhaps anxiety over an irritable bowel that is causing insomnia. Then they tell you a brand name of some sophisticated yet soothing sounding drug a name that was test marketed for maximum sellability. If you suffer from any of these symptoms, then Hevixtocin may be able to help you. Ask your doctor about Hevixtocin. Next comes the side effects, which they legally have to tell you, or they definitely wouldn't. But while they tell you some of the grossest and most awful side effects you may have ever heard of, they cut to a person who is sick, now cured, it's the happy ending part. Maybe there's a violin playing, a family on a beach, or a man with his dog. They speak in a soft, soothing voice. Hevixtocin may cause severe anal bleeding, dry mouth, and loss of hair. If you have a family history of high blood pressure, Hevixtocin may cause stroke, heart attack, and not so spontaneous combustion simultaneously. Hevixtocin is not for women or men who are pregnant or breastfeeding as fetuses may grow tails and little devil horns, and infants may develop reverse elephantitis. This is where the head stops growing, but the rest of them keeps growing. Hevixtocin's name was formed by combining the word for the mother bonding neurotransmitter oxytocin with the word heaven because one out of 10 who take Hevixtocin will end up there prematurely. Ask your doctor about Hevixtocin and get your life back. Or start living tomorrow today. Or a journey of a thousand miles starts with one step and that step is asking your doctor about Hevixtocin or some kind of bullshit like that. All right, peace, Nicks. Today's guest is the stationary astronaut, Nick McLaughlin. He joined us from Rochester, Minnesota, and we had a fantastic conversation. He talks about his trips into the Amazon, doing ayahuasca, and his spiritual journey. We talk reincarnation and the afterlife and the war on drugs. We cover some ground. Check out his podcast, The Stationary Astronaut, and come on, peace and Let's do the damn thing. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug Drugs abuse. are menacing our society. Your thoughts on the drug problem? So tonight, from our family to yours, from our home to yours, thank you for joining us. This is the Peace on Drugs. All right. We in this? We're in this. How are you? Good. How you doing? Backdrop, bro. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you got the bong on one side and you got the elephant on the other. Oh, yeah. I usually remove the bong, but it depends on who I'm talking to. I figured it didn't matter today. <laughs> yeah, you're good. 
<laughs> cool, man. So well, thank what are we you for talking about today? Well, a few different things. Um, I, I've been listening to your podcast and I really dig it. Um, just the name itself got me hooked. I'm a like stationary astronaut immediately. I was like, I know what he's talking about. All right. Um, so, uh, but your, your latest podcast, you talked about melatonin and, um, I was really relieved, honestly, because I, I've been, I just started taking it probably about three months ago and, it, and you said it changed your life. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and for me too. And, but you were talking to, was it, uh, Rick Doblin and, um, and Dennis McKenna, Rick Strassman, Rick Strassman. Sorry. Um, but he was saying that, um, the dream thing might've been a placebo, right? <laughs> it's but, all bullshit. Dude, it's I didn't know, I didn't know about the dream thing until like I took it by accident. I took Benadryl every single day. My wife bought the wrong stuff. And I was like, oh, this is some <laughs> natural herbalistic stuff. I don't know about. I took it. And man, my dreams were just crazy. So there's no way it was placebo because I didn't nobody told me about it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think uh, sometimes these scientific minds get in their own way. And they they have a tough time just allowing so if it walks like a duck and it looks like a duck, it's probably a duck. So when you have so many people across the board talking about their dreams while on melatonin, well, chances are good. You're going to start dreaming again on melatonin. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I swear by it, but I was listening to Andrew Huberman on, um, he was on Joe Rogan's podcast and he was talking against melatonin and I was disappointed to hear him say that, uh, because it's really helped me out. But then I heard in your podcast, you know, it was recommended and that's helped you out. I was like, I, I don't think it's a bad thing to take. I think it's really been giving me good sleep. And, um, and it's also, uh, it's like the uh, serotonin is its precursor. So it's uh, like, it's almost like the neurotransmitter for sleep, the way that serotonin is for our wakefulness. So I think it's, that's probably one reason it affects our dreams and found that fascinating. Yeah, I, feel, I feel rebooted. And I, I heard Andrew Huberman talking about it as well. And it was in regards to um, its effects on dopamine. And almost like it's creating a new baseline for your dopamine. Well, you maybe shouldn't, you don't need to take melatonin maybe during the weekends or don't need to take as high of dose as you might think you need. Um, So there's ways to play with it. And I think everyone needs to just use their own temple as their baseline, as opposed to, you know, even what some of these, these doctors are saying, because if you flat out, if your life is being affected by lack of sleep, well, by golly, do what you're what you need to do to be able to get sleep because you know you start getting into the psychosis realm if you don't sleep so sometimes people just need to do what they got to do to sleep and if it helps you good exactly i do think that lack of sleep is worse than whether you're taking melatonin or even benadryl i don't know about ambien i used to take ambien i think that was a pretty pretty it wasn't that i wasn't getting good sleep but it's extremely addicting you miss one day you don't have your prescription refilled in time and you get zero sleep so it was even worse really yeah it was it was a bad addiction but easy to quit i just took a little less each night and then i was done with it mm-hmm. but congratulations I'm, thank you um so really what, I, what i'm really excited about talking about is you just got back from the jungle correct uh i I go to the jungle frequently, um, but I didn't get to go on my December trip because daddy caught COVID. Oh, so, no. uh, yeah, so I, I was not able, it was mild. I did what I needed to do to get through it, but I wasn't going to do that to the old South America. I'm vaccinated. So technically I could have went without having to get tested, but I thought that would have been very selfish. So I didn't go. 
but my friends who I sent down still went and they had changing experiences, of course. Um, but I'm always keen to talk about my experience down in the jungle. I did go down there twice in uh, 2021. So. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Cause I've never done ayahuasca ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. I've done DMT multiple times. Um, but, and I, and I really have had some profound experiences on that, but they're very short. So yeah, explain to me and my listeners a little bit about that. So um, people who smoke 5-MeO-DMT, I compare, I compare that to uh, smoking cannabis. Now, I'm not talking about the effects. I'm talking about how it hits you. It's being processed by your lungs, quicker acting, right? Mm-hmm. Drinking ayahuasca is like eating an edible in regards to how it reacts with your body. It's got to uh, go through your liver to get to your bloodstream, right? That would be 5-MAO experience when you drink ayahuasca. And um, take your visions you have on, on DMT and prolong them. Uh, give a little bit more meaning uh, because oftentimes when smoking DMT, you it's so intense and it's, it's, like, a, it's a, like a very intense dream state to the point sometimes it's hard to come back with the information. Obviously, you'll have those things that stick out for you, but I couldn't elaborately explain to you my first ever 5-MEO experience. Mm-hmm. I can tell you some bits and pieces, but I can't go through the night for you because it was so quick and it was so intense and it did what it's supposed to do, right? With ayahuasca, man, there's so much more spirit tied to it. And this is someone I, I'm a I'm a five meo uh, uh, facilitator. I'm trained uh, to facilitate Sonoran Toad, and I'm someone who like he- is hesitant. I don't facilitate for just anybody uh, with it because honestly, I don't think the world is ready for it. Ayahuasca, as I don't agree with every Tom, Dick, and Harry should be drinking this stuff. I do not agree with that at all. I believe the spiritual aspect to um, uh, drinking ayahuasca and the process, the travel down, the working with maestros, the um, getting to know your facilitators and having that bond. I think that is just as powerful as going through, say, four or five ceremonies throughout a week. The calling that you get from it, um, I don't know if you've ever heard my story in regards to, you know, I was a former criminal Um. And I was always getting in trouble. You know, there wasn't a fall for like five years that I wasn't arrested. I was a double felon by the time I was 18. And I got locked up in Minneapolis in 2010 on 10, 10, 10. Talk about living in the matrix. There's this guy who's locked up in Hennepin County jail with, I was there for a couple months and, um, there's this guy, his name was also Nick, and he was going away for 20 years for attempted murder on like nine sheriff deputies. He was selling a bunch of cocaine, living very fast, and he took his assault rifle and he heard them coming up his stairs and he was shooting through the wall, didn't hit one of them, but still had to do his, his time, right? This guy was so zenned out. He was, I, and one morning I asked him, I was like, dude, you're about to go away for 20 years. You're the same age as me. I was 23 at the time, 22, 23. And you're about to go away 20 years. How are you dealing with this? You're so zenned out. You're up in your, up in your, um, in your, in your cell, just meditating all day, every day. What is it, man? The next morning at breakfast, he brings me down this book and it was the book DMT, the spirit molecule. 
So sure enough, I spent a few days reading it and I was just drawn in. I knew I, I needed to be in the jungle. There was just something with how Rick described the auric fields of the vegetation, not even being on psychedelics and just the energy down there. And of course, the movie Avatar was a big sell as well. So fast forward, uh, 2014, I finally get off papers. I had been on papers since like 2005. So I finished up, I did nine years of a a 15 year felony probationary period. They let me off early because I did everything I had to do. I was a model citizen. I was sober. They let me off probation. I immediately, as I was uh, leaving the second floor of the courthouse, I went to the main floor. I got my first ever passport. That passport comes in uh, about a month and a half later. So it was the first week of January, 2015. That that day it came in the mail. That night I sent Aubrey Marcus uh, a message. Him and I had had correspondence in the past. So I wasn't sure if he was going to get back to me or not, but we had shared correspondence prior. Sure enough, the next morning I'm walking into my dead end job at this factory out here in the Midwest and Aubrey messages me back. Oh, brother, that's so cool. Cause I had told him I'm a gringo. I don't speak Spanish. I want to go to ayahuasca. Just got my first ever passport. Send me where to go, bro. Sure enough, the next morning he's like, Oh, brother, that's awesome. I'm so excited for you. This is where you need to go. So sure enough, I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. You know, I'm a just a broke factory worker at the time. And uh, sure enough, um, February 19th rolls around. This is a month and a half after Aubrey told me where to, where to go. I still had no idea how I was going to get there, but I had this appointment with a Brazilian psychic named Jerema Silva. Got hooked up with her. She didn't know me from Adam. Okay. My uh, wife, girlfriend at the time was there uh, right with me, man. It was middle of the winter, cold as shit. And sure enough, um, midway through this session, this Brazilian psychic, Jerema Silva, just gets this deep feeling within her. She's like, I need to write this down. You belong here. She writes down Peru, circles it, stars it, slides the paper across the table. She didn't know a month prior I was asking Aubrey Marcus where the hell I need to go in Peru to drink ayahuasca. And sure enough, tears just start flooding my face. So... The following day, bro, I put in my two weeks at my factory job. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I had some buddies who worked in restoration sales up in the Twin Cities. They were all also in the program, former criminals, making good money, life-changing money. They said, it's a great way for a degenerate to make life-changing money. So that's what I did. I spent, this is February, so I spent March... um, after my two weeks ended at this gig, I spent March just living at my buddy's condo in Minneapolis training to work restoration sales. And then I started making, uh, changing money, uh, big checks. And then I booked my first trip down to Peru for August of 2015. Um, and this is, I call it off the grid August because I try to go every August. And this is where the medicine really tests you. So I got my calling, right? I read the book. I was meant to be in jail at that time. Four years come around, I get off probation, uh, and then I end up getting uh, my first ever passport, and you're just being tested along the way. Two days before I was leaving in August to fly out, my first time ever traveling internationally, by the way, my car breaks down on I-35. So I'm just being tested again and again and Mm -hmm. again. 
not knowing, am I even going to be able to go? Sure enough, bro, I just left my car on the side of the highway, caught my flight, didn't worry about the car, let it get impounded. And I just went to go find source. And sure enough, by night three, I was being blasted off. That's the first time I ever saw Ganesh. Mind you, I'd never worshipped uh, anything Hindu related. I had never even paid attention to the Hindu religion. And before I know it, uh, first two nights were tough for me. I didn't really blast off. I still probably had too much cannabis in my system. And then, um, yeah, by night three, they were taking me to see the promised land and my life will never be the same. And now I'm lucky enough to work with these same healers uh, um, on a professional level, invest in them uh, with my company. And I'm able to just continuously go back down. Um, I don't, I'm not a big promoter of ayahuasca universal, the universal use of ayahuasca. I believe everyone needs to find it themselves. Um, I have hundreds of people reach out to me to tell, uh, tell them where they should go. Um, but I always kind of hit them with the common questions, you know, uh, to make sure they're even fit to do so. And then obviously there's a, there's a, um, a big, um, um, packet that you need to fig- fill out to be able to legally go down there in regards to be facilitated because it isn't just one one slice for everybody one size doesn't fit all you know some mm. people shouldn't go for maybe another year yeah. you know it always comes down to you know the set and setting and you being in a good place in your life to be able to go so you don't come back and you have to still pick up the pieces of all the bullshit you didn't take care of before you went Mm-hmm. You and, know, and that's a common that's a common factor you see with people where they think ayahuasca is going to fix everything, all their issues, all their all their trauma. When it's like, well, you got to realize this is a medicine that you need to work with. Um, you need to be patient with it, and it will be patient with you. It only gives you what you can handle. Mm-hmm. It, sometimes you know? it'll help you work through your stuff, but also might show you some of the things you weren't seeing, which could be intense for some people. Absolutely. Not everyone's ready to see that. And I only, I can relate to that from my mushroom experiences. I've, you know, I do a, a few times a year, I do a good mushroom experience and we just did one for new year's Eve. I wanted to kick off the new year and it was a great, great experience. But again, I've had to work through it when I was young When I would do those. I didn't know better. I would just eat a big thing of mushrooms and all of a sudden I'd be in the corner freaking out because I wasn't ready for that kind of experience. Oh, that's so true, man. Mushrooms are a powerful tool for us to use up here in the in the United States. And um, people take it for granted because it's being popularized. Katy Perry last week just released a, a new partnership. She's re-releasing all favorite her top songs. And she's walking through uh, all these Amanita Muscaria mushrooms with a mushroom hat on. And it's like, Katy, listen. I don't know if you've had a profound experience. You've never ate Amanita muscaria. Let's not get it twisted. Mm-hmm. You've never ate that. You've never ate that <laughs> mushroom before. Um, nor should you, unless you're a fucking monk. <laughs> um, and more power to anyone who does eat it. Uh, but it's it's gnarly. You know, you get really sick. And uh, but with mushrooms, I tell you what, ayahuasca actually has really reshaped my relationship with magic mushrooms. Um, I used to take them kind of disrespectfully as a party drug. Um, but once I started 
really diving deep with in the world of ayahuasca and that medicine and modality, I come back and like you, I only have a few profound experiences with them a year. But the thing is, is I respect them so much. I'm not uh, I'm the type of person to eat them by myself. I don't want to be around other people. Mm. I want to be able to reach my Zen state and be by myself and do the personal work that it takes. Because the thing is, with psychedelics, people like taking LSD and going to a festival. Okay. I hope you get out of it what you're seeking where there's some mind connection and stuff like that. But the thing is, is you cannot control other people's personal set and setting where they are in this moment, because there's probably some darkness involved. You go to a fish concert. First time I ever took acid was at a fish concert. And I kind of wish I didn't do that because there's a lot of traveling hippies who are leading dark lives and Mm -hmm. it's not all hunky dory. It's not all peace and love in their existence at that time. And I'm over here taking one of the most potent psychedelics in the Western world. And, uh, you know, I'm out of my, I'm out of my element. I'm around thousands of people in Chicago for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. Luckily I survived it because I stacked a little MDMA on it. (laughs) But the thing (laughs) is, is it's not something I've been eating psychedelics for over half my life. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy if you've never done anything, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, like I tell you what, you can have some profound experiences in groups, um, especially with like ayahuasca at a controlled psilocybin setting. Um, but you can also have some catastrophic experiences if not everyone's shit is together within the group. If you get my exactly. drift. And I think that's why it's important that we have places like, like dance safe in these groups that do come in and help people through their problems at these festivals. But in this country, they're getting kicked out of a lot of festivals because the festivals actually get in trouble if they admit that they know there's drug use. So they kick them out. But um, other countries like Portugal and Spain, they they actually have government controlled programs to help people through these kind of things within these uh, music settings. Cause I'm a musician and I really, I I went to some music festivals and I've had a good time on mushrooms at festivals, but I know exactly what you mean. It's not a place for everybody to do them. And I, and it was only when I first started doing psychedelics, I'd like to go into the woods with a small group of people. And that was always what I did. So I think I got to learn how to use it that way to where when I finally went to a festival, I knew how to handle myself and not go over, go overboard because people have some really bad experiences. Yeah. And in those countries you mentioned, uh, it's really astounding to see the addiction and abuse rates just plummet when mm-hmm. there is people, people, People really, they hound the government. The government has obviously done dirt. um, But the thing is, is a little bit of governmental control in regards to medicine use uh, can go a long ways simply because then at least we have a parameter because those festival testing sites like you're talking about, I want to know what I'm putting in my body. It's the exact reason why I won't eat MDMA anymore. Simply because, well, in the Midwest, bro, it's probably just meth. You know, it's probably just a a stimulant that they put into a capsule and no way in hell am I going to take that. No way in hell am I going to promote others to use this stuff when it's not controlled. It's meth and fentanyl mixed mixtures of those kind of things. And that's why I won't take ecstasy either. And I love, I used to love ecstasy, but now it's killing people again. Like ecstasy when it was legal before they outlawed it in the eighties, there were zero deaths that you could go to the club and buy it with your credit card. And there was no deaths. Now there's people dying and it's not MDMA killing anybody. It's the stuff that they're putting in it. Absolutely, man. I tell you what, some of the most profound experiences spiritually and trauma healing wise I've had were just eating a white Rolex, double stack white Rolex at a, at a controlled party with a bunch of people. And we knew who we were getting it from and we knew it was clean and we knew it was legit. And this was in the early 2000s when I was just young and experimenting. But the thing is, is I never really knew 
how much trauma healing I was, I was really partaking in by using that medicine and I'll call it medicine, especially with what it's mm -hmm. doing for people with uh, TBIs nowadays um, and people with relationship issues and stuff like that. We're firing off centers of our brain that have been shut off since those trauma times. Exactly. And that's what they're using for PTSD and these controlled studies. And this is a huge thing. And this is how you get people on the other side of the, the political aisle, the conservatives to understand that these drugs can be used for helping soldiers. And that, that's going to pull their heartstrings a little and it needs to, but it does, it cures trauma. Yeah. And I, honestly, I'm done fluffing. I'm done throwing band-aids on, on deep wounds uh, with these pharmaceutical companies that are just making killings on and it's tough man because my wife you know we come from the land of the Mayo Clinic my wife works uh for some of the most powerful uh psychologists and psychiatrists on the planet literally uh with the department she works in and just seeing how burnt out some of these doctors are because they're they know they're fighting a losing battle just prescribing 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 pills to cap off what other pills are doing um, negatively for people. And it's just, it's a vicious cycle. It's this vortex that doesn't end well. Um, you know, and I, I come from a family of uh, restaurateurs, right? And I was that little 10 year old who was um, catering and cleaning up after private meetings between Pfizer reps and Mayo Clinic doctors. Um, and, you know, my family was getting paid under the table, you know? And we saw for what it was. And I saw, like, I always, like, took it for granted where I'm just using this cool shaped and colorful Pfizer pen and notepad. But the thing is, is what came out of that was just private handshake meetings that are now illegal. They can't do it. But the thing is, it's still happening. Mm -hmm. um, look at what's been going on, dude. There's no, it's absolutely insane to me that these pharmaceutical companies, and Joe Rogan just had this guy on his podcast the other day was it Dr. McDonald um, talking about how uh, basic Dr. Robert Malone, basically he just, this guy just audits the shit. Nope. This is a different guy. Um, John Abramson. Yep. John Abramson. Uh, he's MD, a uh, Harvard medical school lecturer. And it's just insane how this guy has audited the relationship between hospitals, our government and these drug companies. And it's just insane to think that we've had the cure and the answer this entire time, but because it opens people's minds and it makes it so they really won't conform to your propaganda that it's illegal. Yet on a Sunday NFL ticket, you can still promote fucking Budweiser and on the news it's sponsored by Pfizer. I got a serious problem with that. And I am a cat who rolls to the beat of a different drum. Maybe it's because I'm an Aquarius. Maybe it because it's because I've had too many head injuries in my day. But by golly, I'm not buying in, Jack. I'm just not because I've, you know, I've been to the been to the depths of my own personal existence and I've done the work. And it's to the point now where you can't fool me. You can't pull the the cloak over my eyes anymore. I, uh, I, I've walked the jungle with maestros who will literally bring you to this plant. They will pull it out and they say, we crush this up. We mix it with this plant over here. We cut a, make an incision in a woman's breath. And in 48 hours, she no longer has breast cancer. What? That's crazy. Yes. Yes, dude. Go on a jungle walk with an actual, actual botanist, a jungle botanist. There's a reason why a lot of our medicine comes from the jungles.
Wow. You know, they just pimp it out, dude. They I've heard stories about this people. Is, I've heard stories about people that get cancer that don't spend any time outdoors. And when they get the diagnosis, they start waking up and watching the sunrise on the side of a mountain. And all of a sudden their cancer goes away. They just, they weren't, they were losing their, they weren't in touch with nature, the natural world. The Mayo Clinic literally did a study. I forget if this was in the seventies or eighties, they literally did a study of putting just one tree outside of a patient, a person who was in intensive care in the ICU. They put a tree outside of their window and that was their control along with uh, uh, patients with no tree outside their window. And the ones who had the tree outside their window, their ability to recover was tenfold. Yeah. That's just because there's a tree. That's insane. There was another study similar. That was an accidental study. It was in Johan Hari's book, um, I think Lost Connections, but there was a prison and half the prison faced, if you, if you were in one, one side of the prison, your window faced a cement wall, the other side of the prison it faced farmland. And they said the amount of mental health, the, the difference with not just mental health, but physical health from the people that faced the farmland versus the people that faced the cement wall was outstanding, like just crazy. Wow. It's just remarkable. Uh, the healing mode, which is nature. Um, my partner, one of my studios, Gary Harbo, he travels, dude's just a wizard. He's actually one of my friends I just sent down to the jungle. We have this dream and we're kind of working towards the process. We've been looking at farmland for the last year. Um, haven't found anything we really want because of we need a riverway running through it. Um, our goal is to build, uh, on this plot, build a, basically a, a healing house where people grow their own food. They live within the same biome of their food and taking people who just need the healing, um, people who are late stage cancer, things like that, and bringing them into this house and in a nutshell, running our own study, um, to see that. I mean, it's pretty much known now that if you're within your own bi biome ecosystem, eating the food that like if you walk through barefoot through a garden, right? The plants are so smart. They know to start putting compounds within their makeup. That's going to heal whatever biome is walking through them. Plants talk through a mycelial network. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely insane. If you live within that biome, the food is going to give you what you need to heal. Mm -hmm. It's really remarkable. And that's, that's our goal with monomycelium. It's beyond growing uh, mushrooms and lion's mane. We really want to be able to heal people by using the food that they're cultivating within their own biological ecosystem. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And I've heard stories about like there's mother trees actually feed their young through mycelium networks in the forest. They figured this out by putting some kind of dye in the plant and they could follow it all the way to its children. It's absolutely insane. I listened to uh, some of that podcast, Gary Harbo. It was fascinating because um, you talked about the, the gut uh, biome and um, feeding the wrong one. And I, and I feel that because when I, when I eat, I mean, I, I've been trying to eat very healthy. The one thing I've had trouble with is alcohol. And you did talk about that with psoriasis. I have psoriasis. So um, my New Year's resolution, I haven't drank in a few days and already feel better or just general, but. Let's go, baby. It ain't easy being a musician. <laughs> it's really playing out, you know, playing out at the bars and stuff right now. And that's, that's all I do. Um, but, uh, but also being around when you're sober around drunk people, it doesn't, it makes it a little easier. Cause you're like, that's what I look like when, you know, don't realize it. 
Yeah, it's fun. It's it's fun on both sides. It's fun to partake and experience and share some laughs with close people. Um, but it's also fun to realize what clarity really looks and feels like. And when you have that clear clarity, it's almost something you never want to give back. Um, and it's something to always strive for. And I think that's why uh, profound, I, I have been microdosing uh, lately um, over the past month and a half. But the thing is, is I really like deep, profound uh, mushroom experiences. Now, I'm really a big fan of them because I also like to do cold therapy. I have a cold tub on my deck and I love to take some mushrooms and kind of push my mind's boundaries and really dive deep and then go into my sauna and just do it again and then do it again and then do it again. And to see the clarity that comes out of it, it's actually, uh, it's very, very similar to not drinking for say a year or two. Really? Um, the kind of clarity you get. Yeah. It's really powerful. I've not heard of the cold therapy. I've done the float centers and stuff like that. And um, chirogenics, my buddy does that. Um, he's went to a few of those, but as far as like, like, you mean like ice bath sort of? Yeah. So it's just, you know, it's all about anti-inflammation and, mm -hmm. you know, reaching a parasympathetic state by using breath work to pretty much push out the pain or discomfort. And once you reach that, you're kind of in the Zen state, you're connected to a source greater reminiscent of my psilocybin use post ayahuasca. So I always tell people there's life before ayahuasca and there's life after. Um, psychedelic use really takes on a whole new meaning post getting your chakras aligned and completely blasted off by drinking ayahuasca in a controlled set and setting with professionals. It really kind of enhances your meditative state. It enhances your clarity and enhances um, how you use other psychedelic modalities and just really your connection to source. Mm -hmm. I, I've, I, can, I haven't done ayahuasca, but I've done DMT. And, um, and I, 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 me and my buddy that we've done it with, we said the same thing that there were, for us, there was life before DMT and after, and even my mushroom trips are different. Now I almost feel like I entered the DMT realm slightly when I, when I take them just slightly, but, um, the last DMT trip I had was about two months ago. And I feel like it's going to be my last for a while. Cause it was so great that I just, I feel like it was, it, sh it showed me so much. And it was like an entity was flying around my backyard. You know, first I went into the other, whatever other dimension or whatever space that is. But when I came back, I was still halfway there. And there was an entity flying around my backyard and lighting up the plants and showing me all the different plants as it flew around. And it was laughing at me, but also it was always right ahead of my vision. I couldn't quite see it, but I knew it was there and it was laughing and I was laughing with it. And it was so amazing. I was like, I'm just, I'm going to let that be my last one for a while. That's so awesome. I, I love hearing about experiences like that because it's, you got to see the playful nature of it. And that's one thing where I don't trust the shaman unless they laugh a lot. <laughs> they aren't laughing a lot. They haven't found it. Keep going back to the well, Jack. Um, if there are some, like I've seen some Colombian shamans up in Northern Minnesota where it was really, he was operating on ego and he was operating on just like very like stern and serious and couldn't have a good time. But if we're going to have a good time, it's based on me dancing. And you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Sit up all the time and da, 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 no free will. And uh, it was really weird. And then I started questioning, wait a minute, why are you traveling the United States doing this? Why aren't you working down in Colombia in your homeland? Mm -hmm. Ah, you were ex-nade, you motherfucker. <laughs> you know, 
you see a lot of that, you know, or you see a lot of Peruvian uh, so-called shamans who've been ex-nade from Peru and then they go next door to Colombia to work. And you always just wonder, why aren't you working in your homeland? You know, I mean, you see a lot of that within the industry. I tell you what, man, like the ayahuasca industry as a whole is not for the faint of heart. There is a lot of darkness within the industry. And that is why I am very specific with where I send people, who I send them with, and everything that involves the travel along with the work with the medicine. Um, because I have seen some things. I've seen how some centers work and you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy, especially when you're playing with spirit. This is why I don't think kids like 19 year old should be going to Coachella to smoke a DMT vape pen. I am so oh, yeah. against that. It's not even funny because you're playing with spirit. You might not ever come back, Jack. You're already not going to be the same person because it is going to be a profound experience. But the thing is, is everything that goes along with it, you're not in a controlled set and setting. You're walking a dangerous tightrope and it doesn't end well. And you're, it's almost disrespectful to the, to the molecule. It's such a, a spiritual thing that shouldn't just be a, a kid with a vape pen hitting it whenever he wants just to be like i'm getting high it's not about getting high and um, yeah, i've had some cool experiences at some shows though where i feel like like um like i'm a huge flaming lips fan and when i go see them play mm -hmm. i feel like their singer is a like a western shaman like he you know gets in the ball he crawls over the crowd he he, he you know he shakes his fist like we've made it but it's he has, there's a certain darkness to him but also a levity he's back and forth that man Wayne, right? Yeah, Wayne Cohen. Yeah, Wayne I. Cohen. Uh, my my cousin brought me to see him at First Avenue, and I tell you what, it was an experience to see. Uh, I was sober. I think I might have maybe smoked some pot, but I was sober for the most part. And to see how Flaming Lips puts on a show, it's really it's really remarkable. We got to film at a Wookie Foot Festival this past. Um, summer and it was very similar with their setup it was a little bit more psychedelic than even uh what Wayne did um but getting in that ball man it was just uh it was interesting to have him walking across mm -hmm. my hands in a in a show setting it was pretty cool yeah we actually we ate mushrooms in St. Pete uh ch the chocolates and he was singing uh, the space oddity, you know, here I am sitting on the tin can and he, when he took, when he rolled his ball, we were standing by this platform and I realized as he's rolling out, I was like, oh shit, this is his stopping point right where we're at. So he stopped right where we're at and we sat and I looked up and I'm holding him as he's singing about sitting in a tin can while I'm tripping balls, looking right at him. It was absolutely amazing. One of the best, <laughs> best concerts I've ever been to. Yes. And that is the power of it, man. Like when you're in the right set and setting and you're using this, the medicine, it's so cool because source was working with you and that was meant to happen for you that night. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to ask you about something you said earlier. So you, you said you saw these, um, was it Krishna or um, Shiva when you, in the rain, in the, in the jungles, we saw some of the Indian gods. Yeah, it was really interesting because um, I, as I told you, uh, as I told you, it was Ganesh, but um, Ganesh, that's right. uh, my car broke down. So this was night three. So less than a week prior, my car broke down in Minneapolis, right? It wasn't just gnarly, just a dark period of my life. Yeah, I was making some money, but the thing is, is I was not really even being successful with it, even though I was collecting some checks. 
And but Ganesh came through to me and just telepathically talking to me in regards to I am going to remove these barriers of currency for you. Um, I'm going to open up the floodgates for you because you deserve it. You've worked extremely hard. You've taken risk and you um, you were willing to do what it takes. Hence the reason you're here. And she was just telepathically working with me and working through me. And then I came back, man, and uh, I set my pride aside. As I was still collecting checks, I never had more money in my life. Um, I went and I set my pride aside. I got back. Uh, actually, it was my last day in Peru. I was in Aikido's. I was tapped into the Wi-Fi and I applied to be a janitor at my old middle school. And at the day I landed, I landed a couple days later, they gave me the job. So I was going from the jungle and then a week later I'm starting because it's the end of August. School's about to start up. I'm about to be a janitor at my old middle school. Literally, some of my old teachers were still there from the 90s. Wow. And it was so funny because um, it was just all about setting ego aside. Yeah, I might have 20000 in the bank or whatever, but I, uh, I'm still mopping these floors, you know, still shooting hoops, playing dodgeball with these freaking kids, you know? And just started like, if I was going to do something, I was going to do it great. So I started like creating, like I created the golden dustpan program within uh, the school district. So what that means is you're incentivizing these classrooms to clean up their own classrooms. One, it makes your job easier, but two, you're kind of giving, you're instilling purpose within these kids because then I would choose uh, a classroom every month that would win the golden dustpan and then they'd get Oreos and Kool-Aid. Uh, to start the next month because they nice. won, right? Um, but the thing is, is like, so we can talk about ayahuasca all we want, but that's just partial. Uh, the work begins when you get back. Mm -hmm. It's all about how are you lifting people up? How are you bringing people together, filling your purpose that I would hope you eventually find by using these plant medicines? Now, Ganesh comes through, right? It was insane because the following night I went to hell. I had lost a girlfriend to a heroin overdose. Uh, a couple years prior, and that was tough because I had um, found out that she was still li living. She, I was wondering why she was always staying at my house, and like we never went over to her house. And then she kind of finally, she's like, "I didn't want to tell you this, but you know, um, my ex, we we still like kind of are we're co abusers of this stuff, and he won't leave, and I got nowhere else to go." And da 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 da. I was like, "Here's the deal, Rachel." I need you. And I'm sober at the time. I'm like, I need you to just figure this out. And I'm going to separate myself from you right now. But please, you know, I love you. And I love you enough to say goodbye right now. When you figure this out, get back to me and we'll see if we can make it work. Sure enough, like four months later, dude, I'll never forget it. It was a Monday night. She texts me. I'm on my deck writing. And she texts me. Hey, I just wanted to, you know, rekindle things. I moved in with my mom. I'm sober. I'm doing good. You know, can we please make this happen? And sure enough, we kept talking. And then by that Friday, I'm getting a call from a friend that she was found dead in her mom's, in her old bedroom at her mom's house. And that fucked me up. And it fucked me up to the point where I didn't know how bad it fucked me up. Because like I push this girl away so she could kind of go on this journey to figure herself out and, and get past the, the devil, which is heroin. 
And sure enough, she was fighting for it. And we were coming back into each other's life. And then sure enough, the demon would just held on. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And uh, that fourth night, my first year in the jungle, I had to deal with that. And it was tough. It was tough. I went through hell, bro. Yeah. And hindsight, and, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. It was, yeah, it was just one of those things. And like you were saying, hindsight's 2020. But the thing is, it was, it was a gift. Um, and then the fifth night, uh, the entire week, I'm like, dude, this is like an Avatar movie. Some of the facilitators are these tall, blonde Austrians, and they look like Avatar people. What the hell is going on? Sure enough, Christoph, who had been kind of working with me throughout the week as a facilitator, I come out and I come out of ceremony. I was like, oh, wait, no, it was I was still towards the tail end of our fifth ceremony and I'm coming out. This is the first time I had seen anything physically with my eyes open. Everything was internal, right? Mm -hmm. I come out going to the bathroom and there's two Navi people waiting to tuck me into my, my mattress. And these are the same Navi people, these warrior type entities that Jerema Silva, the Brazilian psychic, said we're over each one of my shoulders as my guardians um, when she was doing the reading back in February of 2015. So fast forward my final night, fifth night in August of 2015, these Navi people were standing there waiting for me to come back from the bathroom. They tuck me in. I go back to closing my eyes. I feel their presence. It's beautiful. And then the ceremony comes to an end. Lights turn on. Candles turn on. And Chris comes up and he's like, dude, you know, after last night, how was tonight? And I was like, bro, I feel like we're in an Avatar movie. And he laughs. He's like, yeah, James Cameron brought all of his executive producers down here uh, five years before they made Avatar. Really? And got got the visions and it all made sense at that point. Holy shit. Yeah. Talk about a shared space. Wow. Absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. And then like, bro, like it's so working with this medicine is so fucking insane. I've drank ayahuasca countless times now, been on so many retreats and every single, no two ceremonies are the same, kind of like a DMT trip, right? No two DMT trips are really the same. They're always kind of off the wall, right? Very different sometimes. Yeah. Um, So I was in Colombia. I had never drank in Colombia. I went down with a friend in 2016 and she hung out for like 20 some minutes and um, was basically precursing that my grandpa was going to get sick. This is in Peru. Okay. Sure enough, if I come back, my grandpa gets diagnosed. And she had told me that night, she's like, since you're the only one who has experienced this like thing we call the afterlife, I need you to stay with your grandpa and I need you to be there with him uh, during his dying days. So sure enough, I stood true to that in 2017. He eventually passed. I stayed with him the final month of his life. And I was kind of like the at the gatekeeper, I was like the crypt man. You know, I was the dude. I was the the doctor of death. If I was around, grandpa was going to die. That was the long and the short of it. But the thing is, the family accepted it as such. My grandma Ren comes through again uh, when I was in Colombia, uh, first week of 2021. She comes through asking for permission to reincarnate as my second daughter. Mind you, I didn't tell you that my wife was pregnant at the time. She had uh, she's pregnant. We found out like August of 2020, we had a quarantine baby. So my wife is still pregnant, um, in, uh, January, 2021, right? Tears just start flooding down my face as my grandma Ren asked me 
if she could reincarnate as my daughter. And sure enough, man, I said, of course, grandma, that'd be fucking awesome. So sure enough, uh, we end up May 12th having our second daughter named her Marky Wren, Wren being my grandma's name. And I have since gone back to Peru and drank the medicine and grandma Ren ain't coming through anymore. So she's with me in the physical flesh now. Wow. It's fucking insane. It's fucking insane because it's obviously a personal journey and you don't know if I'm blowing smoke up your ass, but the thing is it's my personal journey and that is what's happened for me. You don't need to believe it, but it's my truth. You know what I'm saying? It's just insane. Yeah. I know. I know exactly what you're saying. Um, I, I always have weird questions in my own mind about reincarnation. Cause I think, of all the stories of what could be what death could be it makes the most sense to me but um my questions would be like could it cross timelines does it have to be if i die now then i have to right kind of in the future and could that mean i have multiple versions of me that are living different lives happening simultaneously in this one quantum physics baby we're finding <laughs> out so much more uh and the cool thing is about ayahuasca is you can do a lot of past life uh uh transgression so my second uh, year in the jungle, I set some intentions. I wanted to um, wanted to find out my spirit animal, and I wanted to do past life transgression and kind of go back, figure out who I was, where do I come from, right? Sure enough, Mama Ayahuasca answered the call. And you know how like egoically you're like, oh, I'm a lion or I'm a gray wolf or I'm a bald eagle. Nah, bitch, Nick, you are a giant squid. And you go so deep, so deep into the depths, and it is your job to be the sentient being, but reach out and pull people in, reach out and pull people in. That's why I throw festivals. That's why I started Where the Minds Meet. That's why, you know, I throw conferences to bring people together to help educate them while Gabor Mate or Gary Vaynerchuk is on stage or Dennis McKenna, you know. Um, yeah, man, I've I've been lucky. And then I'll never forget um we don't necessarily just reincarnate as human beings either mm -hmm. um, so my second year in the jungle i found myself on the serengeti in a family of thousands of elephants because there was way more animals on the planet or or large animals on the planet than there were human beings so there was less human beings to reincarnate into uh, in this existence on this planet. So we were just a, just a band of elephants running around. And I'll never forget this. My brother, Matt, he was kind of second in command next to Maestro Alberto and his son. And Matt didn't, he wasn't in my vision. He was walking around and just making sure everyone's kosher. And he sees me come out. I open up my eyes and I just got done running on the Serengeti as an elephant and realizing that Matt was one of my brothers in a past life. And he reaches his hand down and he didn't reach his hand down to shake my hand. He reached his hand down and he wrapped his arm around mine like two trunks. Was this dude just in my vision? And he's like, I love you, brother. And he had never like gone out of his way in a ceremony. I'd at this point sat with him, you know, at least 10 times. And he had never done that before. And he wraps his arm around my arm like a freaking trunk of an elephant and says, I love you, brother. Wow. Not to mention split seconds prior, I was just running with him on the Serengeti as a freaking elephant. That's, that's, that's badass, man. That's 
you know, and I actually do believe that we go into some of these places with people because it's, it's a, I believe it's a real place. Me and my wife, a few years ago, it was one of her first DMT experiences and, you know, made it kind of a ritual out of it. And when we went there, she was there longer than me, but we were there together. I, I felt her presence. I didn't necessarily see her, but we were communicating on a different wavelength. And as soon as I came out, she was still there immediately. She's like, where'd you go? Where'd you go? Where'd you go? And she couldn't hear me in this world because I'm, I'm saying I'm right here. She couldn't hear me. And that to me told me she felt me come out of it and knew I wasn't there anymore, which means we were there together. Telepathy, baby. Wasn't that the original name of DNT? Was it? Telepathy? I'm pretty yeah, I'm pretty sure they they originally branded it as telepathy oh, because tele of the telepathy that would take place when people would use it together. I believe it. I mean, it, it really is. It, it's, what is it's amazing. Well, I was going to ask you. Uh, yeah, so, so man, you said it is, uh, oh, you said so. You you magical. said you, you so never. What, what, oh, sorry, we're having a little. Uh, I think a little connection. Uh, lag but um no because you, you said you never you know you weren't in, um never went to like a hindu church or anything when you started seeing these the hindu visions but i was wondering were you raised christian yeah i was raised catholic and uh it's really interesting because i have had very minimal um christian type visions it's always been egyptian or it's been hindu and the egyptian one was crazy it was night one year two the night my grandma came through eventually um toth you know toth with the bird face mm -hmm. was like on stilts and this was early in my vision and i had broken through quickly and um sure enough he just boop, 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 and comedically like telepathically was like and this is me talking What's up, motherfucker? And then boop, 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 boop. <laughs> went back up looking down on me. And it was just insane because, man, I like the pyramids. I got one tattooed on my body and stuff. And I like the idea of a cornerstone. And um, and I come from a Masonic family. And my dad was a Mason. Stepdad is. And I like the idea of geometry and you know, going through the geometrical wormhole when you smoke DMT and things like that. I never chose to summon in Toth. I never chose to summon in Ganesh. These are entities and beings that are there always. Mm -hmm. It's just using the bridge, the modality to get to them, to understand them a little bit more and to utilize them within this third dimensional existence. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen a lot of Egyptian stuff on DMT, that entity that flew around my backyard that I couldn't really see, but where I could, like it was barely ahead of me. It seemed like a genie, which to me is like more of like a Hindu deity. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I've not seen any Christian and I was raised very Christian and I haven't seen any, but my, one of my good friends who was raised Jehovah's witness when he did it, he immediately, he went deep too. He was gone for about 20 minutes on smoking it. And he, and he said, immediately he saw Jesus, he saw heaven and they said, you've, you've made it into heaven. And he, as he was getting accepted, they were like, wait, you can't come in here. And then he saw hell. So he saw, oh. and, but what was really crazy is the next day, and I don't, I haven't, I hadn't listened to a lot of Aubrey Marcus, but I put on Duncan Trussell's podcast with Aubrey Marcus just randomly. It was just, I think it had been the last thing I listened to. So it popped up. We're in the car the next day and Aubrey Marcus immediately starts talking about the duality of, uh, of the um, psychedelic DMT experience with heaven and hell, how some people experience heaven and hell and how you can go beyond it. Immediately explaining to my friend what he experienced. And I was like, 
that's so insane that this is what's playing right now. But um, I, I've, I've never had a Christian myself thing. It's, it's strange. That is so insane. Uh, one time I had this fateful instance while listening to Duncan Trussell's podcast. This is pre-DMT for me, pre-Ayahuasca. This is probably like the year 2012, 2013. I was in uh, Rochester, Minnesota, the home of the Mayo Clinic, um, and I was listening to Duncan's podcast. He had Johnny Pemberton on his podcast. Johnny Pemberton is from Rochester. His dad, he went towards his dad as a Mayo Clinic doctor. That's weird enough, right? But check this out. Because Rochester, we're a town of like 130,000 people. We're not the biggest town. We're just known for the Mayo Clinic and IBM and stuff like that, right? Check this out. They were talking about the Silver Lake Bridge that I was on. I was literally on the Silver Lake Bridge. And it's not a big bridge, bro. While I was listening to Johnny Pemberton on Duncan Trussell's podcast, on my way to Hunt's Drugs to pick up a prescription. I shit you not. Wow. Yeah. Talk about fate. Talk about like, well, um, I am basically, you know, I must be in the right place at the right time going to get these meds at the time being. I forgot what I needed them for, but it was just insane that they were talking about the same bridge that I was on at the time. It was just crazy. It's crazy when these little things happen that make us really do feel like there is a matrix and there is a connection that's a lot deeper than what we understand. I always consider it like a mycelium uh, as an analogy with our consciousness that we're like the mushrooms. Like when you see five mushrooms sprouted up in different areas on your lawn, they're actually all part of the same thing. You just don't see it. Our consciousness might be somehow connected below the surface where we don't see that. All we see are the mushrooms that are sprouted out all around us. But there's another thing happening that is beyond us. Yeah, man, there are, there is, have you ever uh, practiced sun gazing? Mm-mm. So sun gazing, and I'm going to butcher this a little bit. I haven't, I haven't uh, read up on the, the, the complete process, but this is how I read it and how I learned it and how I practiced it. So sun gazing is something that can only be done the first hour of sunrise or the first, the last hour of sunset. Okay. Simply so your, your eyes don't get burnt up. Right. You have to be planted on the ground barefoot. So it's very hard for us to do in like Minnesota, right? It's something where you want to be more equatorial to do it. Southern California, Florida, somewhere down south. I'm in Florida. So perfect. Yep, There we go. Shout out to Florida. Sun gazing. So uh, first hour of sunrise or last hour of sunset. So your eyes don't get fried. You have to be barefoot on the ground. Okay. What you do is uh, you go up by, uh want to say it's only 10 cents a day and you do it for nine months. And however the math shakes up, shakes out, you end up at like 44 minutes or something like that. Um, but anyways, you do it every single day and you can do it at sunrise or sunset. It's very hard for someone to do it every single day. It's very hard. But this is how you reach Christ consciousness. So it gets to the point where the light is now your energy source. So it's basically your food. You only need water now. Um, and that's basically what uh, what people talk about when they reach Christ consciousness. They're literally sun gazing and looking into the eyes of Jesus Every single day, which is the sun, the son of God. That's that's extremely fascinating. Yeah. I'm going to have to research that. It's called sun gazing. Yeah. I'm going to research that for sure. So you go up 10 seconds a day. So first 10 seconds is easy. Next day, 20. 
30, 40, 50, 60 seconds after six days. And then you just keep going, keep going, keep going. And then I think you end up at 44 minutes and you do it. Um, and man, I tell you what, there's something magical to it. I did it, I think, for like two and a half months during one Minnesota summer. And beyond anything, just the commitment to do it, I think because you're waking up early, you're you're planting yourself with the ground. There's a deep spiritual connection with it. And the reason I brought it up, the mycelium network and mushrooms growing. So if mushrooms are showing their head, that's a telltale sign for something that's going on in your yard. Um, and that's something that's very interesting because our ancient ancestors just knew this. They were so deeply connected to source, which is, you know, we're animals, right? So if you believe in the long-term play of how we got here, well, comets had to blast into the side of our earth and biology had to play its role. And then long-term animals come about, we come about. If you believe in that, light obviously played a role, and, but it took catastrophe, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're starting to realize now as catastrophe happens on our planet we are really being forced to reconnect to nature because it's all we got jack it's all we got it's 100 percent true i mean we are products of the earth i mean i assume right there's, there's also theories that we could be some kind of alien consciousness but as far as we know we were born from this earth and we will go back into this earth and this that's all we are is extensions of the earth which is extension of the sun I believe in both. Yeah. As crazy as it may sound, I think uh, we have definitely been worked on a little bit by powers greater than ourselves, advanced uh, transdimensional beings. Um, and if you've ever smoked DMT, you understand that <laughs> you can, <laughs> you can astrally project to places, you know, I've had that happen um, where I astrally projected in a dream state while on psilocybin after a wedding. Um, I had only been back from the jungle the first time. This is in 2015. Uh, we went to a September wedding at a friend's uh, place, and then we all ate mushrooms in our wedding cake. And then that night, bro, I was just actually projecting around my mom's neighborhood. It was insane, just flying from tree to tree to tree. And it was like a waking dream state. It was really cool. Um, but anyways, talking about these transdimensional beings that I have no business talking about, once you experience, like, say, avatar people who are coming down from a trans from a different dimension to tuck you back in, you can say, OK, Nick, you were on one of the most potent psychedelics known to man, or maybe I was more connected than I've ever been before to the point that they show up. Yeah. Yeah. You know I mean what I'm saying? I do. And why I, and does Toth show up when I've never studied Egyptian mythology? Why does Ganesh show up when I've never studied the Hindu religion? Why? Exactly. No, I, I think if it was all in my own mind, I would have seen more Christian mythology because that's what I was raised on. I wouldn't have seen mythologies that I didn't understand. So I, I definitely think there's something to that. And, you know, when you read, read books like um, Aldous Huxley's book, uh, The Doors of Perception, he looks at our, our brain as a basically a valve that shuts off reality to keep us in survival mode we have to be able to forage for food if we're constantly in an interdimensional space well then we're not going to be able to focus on survival so when you take psychedelics it kind of loosens that valve and goes all right here's what's really going on we'll let you see it for a little bit and then you're going to go back to reality and i think psychedelics do that they they actually you know turn off the brain as far as you know what it does to stop reality from coming in it opens it up to more of what's going on 
That's been the big thing about uh, when they study the brain uh, with people on ketamine, uh, when they study the brain of people who are on these psychedelics, things aren't things are being opened up. More of the brain is being used than just in a normal waking state. So don't give me this. That isn't real. Maybe it's realer than we can even perceive. Exactly. No, I, I 100% believe that. It's um, it's just not conducive to, like I say, to hunting, gathering, and, and doing these things that you do in every day. You, nobody would eat mushrooms constantly to, and then go, you know, whatever they're doing for their job, you don't want to be focused. But when you have time off from that, you can really experience the universe in a different way, a more profound way, more spiritual way, I guess. Yeah, man. And you uh, you brought up hunters and gatherers. Uh, they Dennis McKenna personally told me this on a podcast down in Costa Rica. He's like, dude, they were using magic mushrooms to enhance their sensory uh, their sensory output so they could go um, easily uh, 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 take over and, and find food, you know, so stone, stone age theory, right? Yeah. Stone ape theory to help their frontal cortex grow. But they were using these modalities and these magic mushrooms to find food yeah and actually i think it might have been almost a microdose thing because i would think back then if they were foraging things that they didn't quite understand they wouldn't be like oh let me just try this mushroom if it kills me it kills me no they would try a little bit to make sure they don't get sick and a little bit would be like hey i feel a little more focused and then they might take a little more eventually they might lead to a big trip but they're going to start by microdosing and that's what's going to help them hunt that's what's going to help them refine those you know bow hunting skills or whatever that they're using it for yeah i mean like uh, uh hikers and climbers and the natives in nepal uh using cordyceps mushrooms um you know they've they've been using these for for millennia and i think we're just catching on just because we can go order it on amazon now but man i tell you what the future of just mycelial use and mushroom use is going to be insane and i think the telltale sign is when Katy perry's walking around in a music video <laughs> with a fucking super mario mushroom cap on her head uh that's that tells us where the feng shui is headed if you get my drift I do. I think it's funny that the uh, manada or whatever you say, muscaria mushroom is always the go-to for a psychedelic uh, because it's the most, it's beautiful and everybody recognizes it, but it's not the one anybody's eating. No, no I, I've never, I've never had the experience, but everything I've heard from people on Rogan talking about it is it's, it's a strange, um, it's not a psychedelic, right? It's a more of a, some, some other kind of. I, I think it can uh, produce some psychedelic effects but the thing is is you don't want to go through the you don't want to go through the nausea and it kicks your kicks you into the dirt when you consume it um i i don't know i've never experienced it um i've obviously heard people talk about it but it's definitely not a pleasant experience yeah um, well there's there's, there's theories though that, that it's possible that there was ways to prepare it that have been lost that weren't passed along that maybe the older um, cultures did know how to prepare it the correct way and we just lost that or it's also changed slightly genetically where it's not quite the same as it was a thousand years ago because in, in yeah in our, i've heard i've heard that yeah because if you look That's at our his, in history it's a very popular seems to be more popular throughout history than it is in actual you know using cultures today so yeah and i mean back in the day these they didn't have the ability uh or the know-with-all wherewithal to be able to um, they had to take what they could get 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and that's probably why a lot of people in the northern hemisphere used mushrooms while people in the southern hemisphere were using ayahuasca. Yeah. yeah and they used what they could get. Exactly. And that's that was interesting in the book, Guns, Germs and Steel, of how different cultures happened. It was all about what you had access to. And the biggest thing was, of course, animals that you could train in a lot of places. Well, I think dogs were the only one universally trainable all around the globe. A lot of other places, if you had, if you could have horses and uh, mules and things like that to work the farms for you, then excellent. But it's, it's strange to me. Do you, um, I was listening to one of your podcasts and they were talking about somebody was saying, uh, what was it? Fuck your, fuck your garden. Um, he said, oh yeah. Oh, fuck you. I'll build a better garden. Basically us, the way, you know, the agricultural revolution was our middle finger to God. Like we can do a better job as if we, as you know, monkeys with slight, slightly intelligent monkeys could do a better job than mother earth. So we're going to manipulate her. We're going to change her. To, um, one, like I've heard that, that the agricultural revolution was the biggest misstep humanity's ever, ever took. Would you, would you think there's some truth in that? Yeah. So I see it from both sides. Obviously I feel that way i think we've uh, we shot ourselves in the foot in regards to look at what it's doing to disease also have friends who work for monsanto and they're like nick here's the deal we're painted as the big bad wolf but guess what billions of people are not starving because we're able to genetically modify food so we can grow more so i know uh i know there's this this um preconceived notion or conception that we are the big bad wolf and we kill people and we're the big cause of disease eh, shows the science but the fact of the matter is we're feeding a lot of people but the thing is is man you start diving deep and you follow the money well these guys hamstrung farmers you know especially in the midwest here where we come from monsanto came uh to the valley i grew up in in the mississippi valley um in 1994 and by that was the year my dad died uh, of, you know, kind of a fucking weird cancer that they didn't know. And then my grandma died. And then a few years later, my grandma, who also lived, she lived on the Zumbro River, which um, is in the Mississippi Valley. She died of the same cancer my dad died of. So it's just weird. It's super weird. You never know. But at the same time, like the future is growing your own food because your biology is running rampant through through it to allow it to be a medicine because you're living right next to your medicine as opposed to big ag, um, ag farm jobs where you're disconnected from the food you're eating. Um, but that's the, that's the past and it's the future. That's why, you know, wealthy people love to have their own land and their own greenhouses and stuff like that. And I think that's something where we should really start looking deeper into, well, uh, you don't need the biggest plot to have your own greenhouse on your property. Just sacrifice some of your fucking lush green yard. You know? Yeah. I like that you said that I just started gardening because I, I read Michael Pollan's book and he was talking about gardening. I was like, I need to get more in touch with the earth. And I just started an herb garden growing spinach and jalapenos and basil and stuff like that. And are you able to, there's no season for it. You can just grow whenever, I suppose. No, nah, there's a season for the stuff I'm growing right now is from like right now through May. And then I think there's a, um, and then I'll just figure out what grows the next season. And it's definitely because we're, a, I'm, I'm Southwest Florida. So it stays pretty hot. Like today we have a nice cool day. It'll be a high of 70. So that's great. Okay. But, um, What's up, man. Yeah, but now, like we said about Monsanto's being the enemy, I was watching something. I think it was on like Penn and Teller, but if you heard, I think his name was like Norman Borlock or something like that. He was uh, the first guy that started the MGMO all around the world. 
they said, you know, we talk about Jesus, all the people that were saved from Jesus. He goes, this guy's no one's ever heard of. And he saved literally billions of people's lives going to farms in Mexico and helping them with their grains and then going to India and helping them with their grains and getting them to, but through GMOs though. So I'm sure there's a lot of money involved, but. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I only know what I know. I don't know everything and I, I don't even know where to begin because, um, man, I tell you what, like Dr. Zach Bush is really kind of changing my life around my understanding towards just our microbiome, our gut health, as well as just kind of our connection to source and how we're trying to, you know, we're, we're getting really disconnected by processed foods. And I grew up in a family where my mom would be like, anything you buy that's not on the outside of the grocery store is disease filled. Yeah, you know, I've heard that. And I, and I, I do. I believe that. For the most part, there's a few things you can you get know. your honey and stuff like that in the middle, but that's about it. There's um, no, I've been being very organic and I've noticed a huge difference too. Honestly, like I, if I, if I go on a road trip, a lot of times I'll do fast food just cause I'm in a hurry. I'm like, ah, screw it. McDonald's won't hurt just one day. And I feel it on the trip on the ride up. It's just like, all of a sudden I'm tired. I don't feel good. I'm like this, that food is what's nourishing my body. My body's like, this isn't good. We don't need any of this. Oh man, you feel like a true piece of shit if you eat if you eat McDonald's. Honestly, that's the bottom of the barrel, dude. Bottom of the barrel. No, thank you. Uh, uh-uh, yeah. dude. No way, Jose. Yeah, from now on, I'll just bring, bring some nuts and berries and stuff like trail mix with you, so that you don't have to to pull over at one of those places. Um, bring some nuts. Let me get some nuts. Um, hey, so one thing before, before I get you off here, I just had, a, uh, it might not be a quick question because it's a huge topic, but I've been, because you know, my podcast is about the peace, it's called the peace on drugs. It's about the war on drugs. That's my main focus. I, I'm big into psychedelics, um, or uh, I should say not big into them. I think that they're great because you, you don't do them all the time. Um, they're, they're kind of, like you said, they're teachers, but, um, I've been doing because of this podcast, most of my work has actually turned into the opioid crisis, which at first I went into this with the thought that. Anybody who's addicted to opioids needs to first thing, try to get off it best you can get off the stuff. But as I'm researching and talking to people, I'm, I'm starting to see it differently. And like I just had David Poses, the author of The Weight of Air on, and he, he thinks heroin should be as available as alcohol. He's like, if alcohol is available, why can't I go get my drug of choice? And also people that are addicted that are dying right now on the streets wouldn't be dying if they could go get heroin safe as they do in Switzerland. But, you know, you, you called it with your friend and I, and I, again, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but like this, the demon heroin, but we also talk about the demon rum. These for a lot of people are demons, but for some people, they're also cures for different ailments, trauma. Um, what do you, what are your thoughts about the opioid crisis or have you thought much about it? Well, I've thought so much about it. And I think we already touched on this a little bit. All this stuff should be legal simply because the numbers don't lie. Places that they have legalized crime has plummeted. Deaths from drug use has plummeted. Addiction rates plummeted. So you want to talk about being able, like we have a, a, we have a severe um, homelessness crisis in the United States. It's absolutely insane. Just talk to anyone who has fled Los Angeles in the last year and a half. They will, they will inform you. The billions of dollars that are spent on the homelessness crisis, when they're basically they're they're off the beaten path, they're not doing it correctly. Because first and foremost, if we got rid of the war on drugs, well, the prison guard unions don't like that very much. Um, the police forces who are sworn to protect us from the big bad wolf, 
you know, they don't like that too much because it keeps them fucking employed. Let's just mm-hmm. call it what it is, right? Yep. So beyond, I think no matter what, if you can look at peer numbers and it says addiction rates plummet, crime plummets. Well, what's a leading cause of homelessness? Mental health issues. So if we started redistributing the money elsewhere to actually take care care of people's mental health and to not cross our fingers that they're not going to go do illicit drug use when you know they are oftentimes because they're to self-medicate because Mm -hmm. there is no rhyme or reason or a solution that they're being provided with. So if you start looking at the brass tacks of things, well, the war on drugs is a failed war that was never meant to end. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have, it's a big control grab. So I have friends um, who are running the psilocybin studies at the University of Minnesota. And then you got Roland Griffiths out at uh, Johns Hopkins. What are we doing here? What we, we already know this stuff works. They've ran trial. They've run, run so many trial studies. And then here you sit, we're still having to go through all this red tape. Why is that control, man? So you think, you think big pharma is just going to, give it up that easy no dude they do the same thing with the with the vegetation or the modalities that the the compounds that they come back from uh the the amazon jungle with right all they do is they just rewrite the code a little bit and then they distribute it as their own happy pill or their life-saving pill you know what i'm saying they're just thieves all they are is they're new age conquistadors who are, they don't care about the well-being of individuals. No, money comes from sickness. Yeah. Keep them sick. Keep they don't them eating unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it's tough because I have friends who are doctors who are enslaved to the Mayo Clinic, but I also have friends who have gotten off that beaten path where they are, they're running their own clinics and believe it or not, they're, and they're just cash clinics. You know, so if you want to come get helped, you're not your insurance will not cover this off the beaten path modality, but by golly, it works. So right now, you know, you got to pay for it but out of pocket. But the thing is, is the future is so bright in um, alternative medicine. I think we are graduating. We are going to graduate from the capitalistic side of Western medicine, and we're going to marry the two, um, the medicine before Western medicine that we know of and then what it's going to be in the future. And I think it's, we're in a really good spot because there's a lot of money to be played with. You also have um, venture capitalists like Tim Ferriss, who threw a lot of, I think he threw a couple million dollars at Roland Griffiths and his study, um, or he might've thrown it at maps for MDMA. I want to, I want to say it was for psilocybin research, but the thing is, is you have venture capitalists who are about it. Uh, I asked Gary Vaynerchuk on my podcast that I did with him back in 2018. I asked him, had he ever done any psychedelics? And Gary is someone who, he compiles content because we have multiple videographers there that day. He compiles content and then he releases it as such um, when the time is right, right? Mm-hmm. Sure enough, I'm getting blown up a couple months ago. Dude, he finally released, uh, we released the podcast, but he released this specific segment when I asked him about psychedelics. And that's because, man, the future is in psychedelics, in those modalities, in that, in that uh, research. You know, it's just how can we coddle and cater to big pharma who's going to want to pimp it out you know like right now you basically have to it is borderline impossible to get into the ketamine research uh uh 
ketamine study at Mayo Clinic. So what did I have to do? I had to go to an alternative um, practitioner here in, uh, she's in the Mississippi Valley and she owns a clinic and she's just a phlebotomist by trade, but she got her license. And with her, it's much easier to get into the study. Uh, same thing with like hyperbaric chambers. Dude, you basically have to be on your deathbed to get into the hyperbaric chamber room at Mayo Clinic. That's fucking sad when we yes. all know what hyperbaric oxygen therapy is doing for people with TBIs, for people who are have sleep issues, for people who have all sorts of blood issues. Um, that's It's pathetic, man. There's so much red tape. And I think the war on drugs, sorry, long story short, um, I've kind of come around the back door like Snoop Dogg <laughs> in Chronic 2001, where the war on drugs has failed. The war on drugs is a big, big game and you ain't in it. The war on drugs is meant to employ uh, and keep private prisons alive. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Thankfully, oh, yeah. some states are finally banning private prisons. Uh, my old probation officer specifically came to Minnesota because we didn't have private prisons. He came from Wisconsin. So, I mean, it's dark when there's incentive to lock people up, man. That's fucking new age slavery, dog. It really is. And it's, it's awful. And it's awful for people on probation. I, Cause I was on probation a few years ago for a simple pot possession. And I had to go to all these classes and take drug tests. And I was like 32, I think at the time. So I, I was old enough to know, like, all right, I got to do that. I have to be a part of the system. I have to play by their rules or I'm going to be fucked. And these young kids that were in the class with me, who fail a drug test there. That means a violation of probation back to jail for smoking pot means they're right back in the system. Now they have to pay more, do more classes, take more drug tests. The system is designed to keep them inside of it. I'll tell you a story from the inside as well. Um, I got locked up. I, my PO was finally sick. I'd never failed a piss test, but he was so fed up with me. and clear. I was diluting my piss. I would wake up early in the morning and I'd drink a lot of water because I was committed to my craft. Right. <laughs> so he finally had enough. He locks me up and he locked me up. I was in the bullpen with this young black kid who, uh, was wearing a suit. He was, I was dressed up in probably a sweatsuit. This kid's dressed up way better than me and I was talking to him he just got locked up by the same probation officer and he got locked up because he got a haircut because he had a baby on the way he was trying to find a job on his paperwork he is subject to hair follicle testing guess what Olmstead County doesn't conduct hair follicle testing it's subbed out and they never do it this kid got locked up for getting a haircut because he had a child on the way and he was trying to find a fucking job. This so young black up. man. Now it's dude, that is the war on drugs in a nutshell. You're locking up good people who are trying to fucking get a job, who are trying to do what you want them to right? Hold down a two parent household, raise a child. What's supposed to, what's expected of him. And here you are, you're putting him back. You're setting him back. He's going to have to pay court fees. Going to, if, if he, you know, if he has to hire an attorney, He's got to fight this because this is a violation. That's a new mm -hmm. charge. Oh, the charge. So you just set this kid. You're just setting this kid back, man. And the thing is, is that's the war on drugs in a nutshell. It's baby steps. Jordan Peterson just went on this rant, and I think uh, Rogan reposted it. And it's talking about how, oh man, oh man, communism is baby steps, Jack. They take little liberties away. You keep giving away your freedom for liberty. Eventually, you know, no, you keep giving away freedom. You have neither. 
And that was one of our founding fathers who said that. And here we sit, we keep just like, because you don't smoke pot, all of a sudden people shouldn't be able to explore their consciousness. You vote a certain way simply because you don't agree with, just because you don't agree with it, just because you grew up in a Bible banger household that, you know, forbids the use of fucking compounds that allow people to explore their consciousness all of a sudden makes you so uncomfortable that your neighbor might be doing it. Guess what? Ain't nobody running in the street ass naked saying, go eat some mushrooms with me or come rip a bong that's behind my right shoulder with me. You know what I'm saying? I'm not pushing it on anybody. I'm just allowing you access to explore your consciousness. That's why we we play by the rules, man. We're licensed. We send people down to Peru. I don't have a an illegal underground uh, uh, operation like fucking Kentucky ayahuasca. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Orlando. We're sending people who are vulnerable and needed to a safe setting in a legal scenario where they can not have to worry about the boogeyman over their shoulders because of this fucking war on drugs, man. Exactly. I think was it Dennis McKenna that said, if uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness doesn't include my right to explore my own consciousness, then the Declaration of Independence isn't worth the hemp it's written on. We that's what you call a mic drop quote right there. If that was Uncle Denny, I'm going to have to call him after this and say, thank you, Godfather, for being the witness. <laughs> yeah man it's uh the war on drugs has been awful and and also it doesn't work right the dea if its job is to solve the drug problem then its job is to put itself out of business and it's not going to do that goddamn right almost like uh people who sit on boards uh for uh cancer uh cancer foundations yeah uh you these people who are sitting uh, making six figure i've been bored before for it and it was just really gross because you see it from the inside out and you're like wait a minute so you're the cancer society right if you really wanted to a cure for cancer that would mean you wouldn't have your six-figure job <laughs> so do you really want to do you really want to find a cure because then you lose your 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 plush paycheck Oh man, it's so gross how we kick the can down the road. Uh, you see it with the DEA, right? They're, man, they love buying new equipment. They mm -hmm. love kicking doors in. It's what pays them. So keep these drugs illegal. Oh, let's keep the heroin and cocaine pipeline open with Mexico. Let's just keep criminalizing drug users and drug sales. Are you back? Yeah. I, so I, I I keep losing it. I heard you say something about my Zoom. If I actually up my Zoom package, that would make my connection better. No, your connection's just terrible. Yeah, I have the highest one I can get here with Comcast. No shout out to Comcast. <laughs> no shout out to Comcast. Yeah, we're sitting on that 200 meg up here in Minnesota, baby. Yeah, I, I wish they would get fiber in this neighborhood. We don't have an option for it yet. Hopefully, it's coming. But um, sorry, you, I hate you were on on a roll, man. I was digging it. Um, but yeah, the uh, the idea that we we have a perpetual problem with the war on drugs that's not going away. They don't want it to go away. It was uh, there was a conservative ec economist in the '90s. He was Milton Friedman. He said, you know, if you look at it from a pure economic standpoint, the purpose of the drug war is to keep the cartels in business. So we're not fixing anything. Yeah, I think, I don't know if we got cut off, but my point was that if they legalized cocaine and heroin mainly, they would cut off the head of every cartel um, known to man. The cartels would have to pivot and actually start doing God's work. Yeah, and they um, could actually start legit businesses that they wouldn't compete. Like the head of Bud Budweiser doesn't go, you know, send assassins to the Miller Lite people. It doesn't work that way in the legit business world. So 
they could be legit businesses and you wouldn't have thousands and thousands of murders every year in a country that is really could be a, a beautiful thriving place they have the land they have the resources but because of our drug laws they're kind of fucked right now yeah it really interests me once you start getting into the more controlled uh distribution of this stuff where you know what you're getting it's pure uh dr carl hart talks about his just you know, flippant use of uh, of cocaine and heroin on a Friday night with some friends, and I I'm a fan of that. I like I am. I might not ever use cocaine ever again, but the thing is, if it was pure and I was with my friends out in the hills of California, and I knew where I was gonna be and for a weekend, it's fun to do if it's pure because you don't feel like shit the next day. It's like when Molly was actually Molly, where it was a single molecule and it was pure. That's where it's like all those people talk about how down they felt or their headaches and stuff. It's like, nah, man, when it's really good, you, uh, you don't have to worry about kind of the after effects, you know, when it's pure. Exactly. And this, that's one cool thing happened in places like Barcelona where they're allowing so much testing for free that they're seeing street drugs go up to about 95% purity because people can't sell bullshit. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. Oh, yeah. So our plan is out next time Radiohead goes on tour, I'm going to see him in Barcelona so I can get some good ecstasy. <laughs> Yo, I'll meet you there, bro. Let's do it. Fuck yeah. <laughs> hey, man, well, it was really great talking to you. I guess um, we'll wrap it up, man. We're heading out to St. Pete for the, for the next two days to visit my sister. Okay. Well, I hope you have a, have a safe travel, and uh, I hope uh, you get that glow out of your family, and you deserve it, man. Hey, thank you so much. And thank you for doing this, man. It was really great talking to you. It was great. I love your podcast and I love what you're doing. Peace on drugs. Thanks for reaching out, brother. I love it. All right. All right, man. Cool. Thank you. Yep. All right. Later. All right. Peace, Nicks. Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Remember, follow us on Twitter at the Peace on Drugs, Instagram, Facebook. If you like what we're doing, go on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Go to www.thepeaceondrugs.com, subscribe to our newsletter. I'm going to let Twiggy Branches take us on out. Yeah.